to Acts chapter 20. In Acts 19, we saw Paul's ministry in Ephesus. He spent three fruitful years in Ephesus, investing in disciples there in Ephesus. In Acts 19.21, Luke told us that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, led Paul to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem and finally uh, to go to Rome. So last week we saw Paul leave Ephesus, travel through Macedonia and Achaia or Greece, and he's making his way to Jerusalem. And last week where we left Paul, he was in Asia, where Ephesus is, but he wasn't in Ephesus. He, he sailed past Ephesus, and if you look back at chapter 19 and verse 16, he sailed past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. He, he didn't have time for a, a stop in Ephesus. He stopped and said, just south of Ephesus in Miletus, but Paul could not leave Asia without ministering to the church in Ephesus and particularly the elders of the church in Ephesus, one last time. And that's what we're going to see today in Acts chapter 20. Um, So we're going to look at verses 17 through 38, and we're actually going to spend two weeks on this passage. This is one of those passages that weeks ago, uh, when I thought... I, I knew how we were going to divide this up. It, it seemed like this was, a, this was a, a text that would be one sermon, but the deeper uh, I dived into it, this is, this is a two-sermon uh, text. And so we're going to primarily look at the first half today uh, of this passage, but um, we will read the whole thing just for the context so we get a sense of what Paul's message to these Ephesian elders is. So with that, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How... I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention 
to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, He knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. For three years, for three years, Paul shepherded the church in Ephesus. He lived among them. He preached the gospel to them. He led many of them to the Lord. He he planted this church. He taught them day after day in the hall of Tyrannus. He led them for three years, Paul had shepherded the church in Ephesus. But now, the time had come for him to leave. And so, it was time for Paul to pass the mantle of shepherding on to the elders of the church in Ephesus. So, in this address, he reminds the elders of his example of shepherding. And he exhorts the elders about how they are to shepherd God's flock. And so Paul's speech can really be summarized this way. Okay, here is your job as elders, as shepherds. Here's what I did among you, and here's how you will carry on what I began. Here is how you can learn from my example and care for God's flock. And so this passage has immediate application for the elders of our church. Uh, Just like that church in Ephesus had elders, so our church has elders. Just like those elders were to take their cues from Jesus and the teaching of his apostles, so the elders of our church are to take our cues from Jesus and the teaching of his apostles. But if you're not an elder of our church, don't check out, please. This is a passage 
This is the word of God to you as well. Uh, You may not be a pastor, but you might still be called to shepherd. Are you a husband? Do you have at least one sheep to shepherd? Are you a parent? Then you have sheep to shepherd. But, But even beyond that, if you are in Christ, you are a sheep, a member of the flock of God, and you need a shepherd. And whether we are only a sheep or whether we are also a shepherd, we need to know what God wants a shepherd to look like. But in order to grasp the fullness of how this text applies to us, we need to also understand something about how God views shepherds in Scripture. All earthly shepherds of God's people are under shepherds of the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate model shepherd. As good of a human model as Paul may be, he was imperfect. Jesus is the ultimate model shepherd. And it's by Jesus that all under-shepherds are measured. Jesus is the chief shepherd, meaning he has the highest authority. In fact, he's the only one with authority. And so any earthly authority that under-shepherds exercise is delegated authority. Not of their own, but something they steward from the chief shepherd. So as a sheep who needs a shepherd, you need to realize, I need to realize that ultimately the shepherd we need is Jesus. As we look at this passage about the the kind of model shepherd that Paul was and the kind of shepherd that the Ephesian elders were thus to be, what we're really looking at as we look at this ideal model of a shepherd is we're looking at a picture of the kind of shepherd Jesus is most of all, the true and greatest shepherd. In Jesus, the shepherd that we need is the shepherd that we have. And so, This morning, as a sheep, let's remember who this chief shepherd is, who we're following. And if we have been given the responsibility of shepherding Christ's sheep, then let's look to the model shepherd, Christ, who we are to emulate. So over the next two weeks, we're going to look at six different traits of the shepherd we need. Three today, three next week, and uh, today we're going to see that the shepherd we need is a shepherd who models the life of a servant, a shepherd who teaches the word without holding back, and a shepherd who values God's will more than his life. So first of all, the shepherd we need is a shepherd who models the life of a servant. So as we read from Miletus, Paul calls to the elders of the church in Ephesians to come down south to him. And as they're gathered, Paul speaks to them. And the very first words out of his mouth, he begins by reflecting on his time in Ephesus. So look at verses 18 and 19 again. You yourselves know 
how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So as Paul thinks back on his time in Ephesus, he wants to remind these elders of what they already know. You yourselves know, he says. And he reminds them of two things that they already know. The first thing that he wants them to remember is how he conducted himself among them. You yourselves know how I lived among you. Paul lived among the Ephesians. And he lived among them in a particular way. The whole time he spent among them was marked by one goal. Do you see it in the text? Serving the Lord. Verse 19. He lived among them from the whole time, from the first day that he set foot in Asia, serving the Lord. That's how he lived among them. Paul identifies himself as one who served the Lord. That was his goal. That's how he lived among them. Uh, This is a, a frequent way that Paul identifies himself as a servant of Christ or a bondservant of Christ or a slave of Christ. And by definition, if we, if we really press into what Paul is saying when he says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ, a servant of the Lord, by definition, a slave is not free. A slave does not get to decide his own priorities or agenda or lifestyle. A, a, a bondservant, a slave, a, a servant was to obey his earthly master in everything and Paul found his identity as a servant a slave of Christ that means he viewed himself as one who lives to do one thing please his master his aim was to please Jesus and as Paul lived among the Ephesians he modeled for them what it looks like to live as a servant of Jesus. What marked Paul's service of the Lord Jesus? You see that in verse 19. What marked his serving the Lord was humility and tears and trials. Serving the Lord Jesus involves humility. Serving the Lord Jesus means giving up what makes you great in exchange for what exalts Jesus. Serving the Lord Jesus means tears. It means giving up what makes you happy in exchange for what makes Jesus happy. Serving the Lord Jesus involves trials. It means giving up, living for what makes you comfortable in exchange for living for what honors Jesus, even if that means pain and suffering and opposition. As Paul shepherded the people of Ephesus, the kind of shepherd that he was, was a shepherd who modeled the life of a servant. And that's the kind of shepherd 
that you and I as sheep need. One who models the life of a servant. And this is the kind of shepherd we have in Jesus. Flip with me to Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a what? A servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He humbled. He, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our chief shepherd, Jesus, is the ultimate model servant. His life was marked by humility, tears, trials. He humbled himself to be a servant of God the Father. He gave up his interests and what made him happy and what made him comfortable to count others more significant than himself. And this is the kind of shepherds that Jesus wants to replicate among his people. Peter wrote to the elders, uh, wrote to church elders in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So if the Lord has given you the responsibility of shepherding one sheep or multiple sheep or many sheep, let this be a reminder to us that our leadership is not to be a top-down, heavy-handed, authoritarian, domineering leadership. That's not what our chief shepherd has entrusted us with. Like Paul, instead, we are to live among our fellow sheep. Uh, we're not to lead by brute force, but by humble example. One thing we need to remember about humility in terms of what Paul demonstrated, in terms of what Jesus, humili- uh, uh, Jesus um, demonstrated through his uh, humility, uh, Rick Warren made a really important observation uh, a long time ago that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's about thinking of yourself less. True humility is not about thinking less of yourself, it's about thinking of yourself less. And and the, the point of that is that true humility is not focusing on myself and being self-deprecating and waking up every day and how can I lower myself and how can I 
think about how bad I am or how low I am or how weak I am and how can I make sure that I'm doing everything to, to make myself low. Because at the end of the day, if that's how I'm living, who's at the center of my universe still? <laughs> myself. True humility comes not from focusing on yourself in a particular way. True humility focuses, or comes from focusing on the first and second greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. End of story. If we are focused on the top two priorities that Jesus has given us, we're not going to have time to think about ourselves. Paul, in his example as a servant, was focused on serving the Lord, pleasing Him in all things. He was focused on the people that God had called him to serve, how he could labor for them with tears night and day, giving himself, spending himself. His humility was demonstrated in the fact that he never lived for himself and was not focused on himself. He was focused on serving the Lord and serving the people that he was called to serve. And this is what Jesus modeled for us as well. He lived, he, his aim was to please his father in all things. He laid down his life so that he could love his friends. He was focused in all things on pleasing God, on loving neighbor. And that's the example of humility that God calls us to. And it's not just true for elders who are meant to be humble examples among the sheep, among the flock. For anyone who wants influence within the kingdom of God. This is true. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Paul is an apostle, and before he was an apostle... The group of apostles that Jesus was with during his earthly ministry. Jesus said this to those apostles in Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you want to be great? In your home, be a servant. Do you want to be great in your workplace? Be a servant. Do you want to be great in your marriage? Be a servant. Do you want to be great in our church? Be a servant. We point people to Jesus. We shepherd sheep. We lead people to the model shepherd when we imitate his example, the Son of Man, who came not to be served, but to serve, to give. The shepherd we need is a shepherd who models the life of a servant. 
The shepherd we need is also a shepherd who teaches the word without holding back. A shepherd who teaches the word without holding back. So again, Paul begins his address to these elders by reminding them of what they already know. The first thing he wanted them to know is about how he lived among them serving the Lord. But the second thing that the Ephesian elders already knew that Paul wanted them to remember is how he taught them. So look at verses 20 and 21 again. He says, you know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul reminds the elders what they already knew about how he exposited the Bible among them. You remember how Paul reasoned with them, first in the synagogue, then in the hall of Tyrannus. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. He exposited the Bible. He taught. And what he makes clear and wants them to remember is he taught without limits. He taught without holding back. He says, I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. There was nothing that they needed to hear that he was unwilling to tell them. He says, uh, I was teaching you in public and from house to house. There was no place he was unwilling to teach. And he says, I was testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. There was no kind of person he was unwilling to speak to. No subject was off limits. No place was off limits. No person was off limits. I did not shrink from telling you anything, anytime, anywhere to anybody. Paul never shrank from declaring the truth of the gospel. And he urged everyone not only to hear the gospel, but to respond to the gospel in the way that Jesus calls us to through repentance and faith. Jesus calls those who would respond to the gospel to a lifestyle of continually turning away from loving sin and trusting in ourselves. And he calls us to a lifestyle of hating sin and trusting in Jesus to save us from sin. Repent, turn away from loving sin, turn away from trusting in ourselves, and place faith in Jesus, hating sin and trusting in Jesus to save us from sin. So Paul never shrank from declaring the truth of the gospel and calling people, repent, believe in the gospel. And Paul picks up this theme in his conclusion of this section in verse 26. He says, therefore, as he he sums up everything about his example, he says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Wow. Innocent of their blood. Why would he say that? On what basis would he say, I'm innocent of your blood? Verse 27. For, because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Teaching the Word of God, the whole Word of God, is a matter of life and death. Where does Paul get that idea? Well, that phrase, I am innocent of the blood of all, picks up on something that God told the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 33. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. 
Ezekiel 33. Let's read verses 1 through 9 of Ezekiel 33. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. Verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. Let me repeat that. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. So God established the prophet Ezekiel as a watchman for Israel. Ezekiel's job was to warn the people, to declare to them whatever God would speak to them. So if God's judgment was coming, Ezekiel was responsible to, to see that and to tell the people about that. And this would have been very a very profitable, to use a phrase from Acts 20, a profitable message for the people. They needed to know this. It was life and death that they would hear this message. But, but judgment is also a very unpopular message. It would have been tempting to, to shrink back, to, to soften the message, to leave out a word here and there, to hold back some of what God had said. But if Ezekiel had withheld God's message, when God's judgment came upon the people, their blood would be on Ezekiel's hands because he didn't do his job of warning them of every word of God. So Ezekiel's job was to give them the full warning, un edited, unfiltered. The people may not heed the warning. And they didn't. The people may perish. But if they did, he could be confident knowing that he had been faithful to do his job. And so this is what Paul is getting at when he says, flip back to Acts 20. When he says, 
I testify, in verse 26, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He says, listen, I had a job to do, to preach the word. And I did not hold back anything that you need to know. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, it's not because I didn't tell you what you were supposed to do. If you don't know what you're supposed to know, it's not because I didn't tell you what you were supposed to know. I am innocent. The kind of shepherd we need is the kind of shepherd who holds nothing back of all that God wants us to hear. And that's the kind of shepherd we have in Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, starting in verse 12, Jesus says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The kind of shepherd we have in Jesus is the kind of shepherd who holds nothing back of all that God wants to speak to us. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteous, righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Jesus, our chief shepherd, has given us in his word everything we need to be a whole person. He has given us in his word everything we need to do everything we need to do. He has given us in his word everything we need to know about who God is. He's given us in his word everything we need to know about our sinfulness against God. And he has given us everything we need to know in his word about how we can be made right with this God. How we can be spared the judgment of God by repenting and placing our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus to save us from the wrath of God and give us eternal life as a free gift through Christ. And he has given us in his word everything we need to know as we live our lives as his sheep following our shepherd as members of his flock. He has given us in his word everything we need to know, everything we need to hear from God. He is the kind of shepherd who has taught us and continues to teach us through the abiding presence of God the Holy Spirit. He teaches us everything without holding back. 
And this is the kind of shepherd that Jesus wants to replicate. The kind of shepherd that we have in Jesus, and it's the kind of shepherd he wants his under-shepherds to be. I read 2 Timothy 3 right in the next passage in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Paul tells Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Again, notice the stakes. The judge of the living and the dead. The final judge of all people. He's the one that we're accountable to. He's the one who is in view when we're thinking about this. What, are we, what is Timothy to do in light of this judge? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You hear some similarities there with how Paul described his teaching ministry. There's no place not to preach. There's no time not to preach. There's no person not to preach. There's no subject not to preach. There's no type of preaching. Yeah, maybe you only want to exhort, but you also need to reprove and rebuke. Under shepherds of Jesus are to take his complete word that is able to make complete disciples and teach it completely with complete patience, too, by the way. So if God has given you the responsibility of shepherding even one of his sheep, feed them with the word and hold nothing back. Husbands, we are to wash our wives with the water of the word. Ephesians 5, 26 says. Fathers, we are to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4 says. Pastors, we are to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so we can give instruction and sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Titus 1, 9 says. Disciple makers, we are to teach disciples of Jesus to observe all that Jesus commanded us, Matthew 28, 20. At the end of our lives, may we be able to say to those entrusted to us, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything profitable for you. But let me also give you an encouraging reminder as we think about the responsibility that the Lord has given us. Shepherds are responsible to feed the word, but shepherds can't make sheep eat. Ezekiel was not responsible for Israel's response. He was responsible to warn them. God says, if they don't heed the warning... They're going to perish, but you will be innocent. Paul was not responsible for the Ephesians' response. He was responsible to declare to them the whole counsel of God. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of you all, no matter what you do with the complete counsel of God that I gave to you. And so let that remind us of two things. If I'm a shepherd, I'm called to be faithful, not to get a response. If I am called to be a shepherd, I am called to be faithful, 
not to get a particular response. One response or another is not the determining factor or measure of success for a shepherd. But also, if I'm a sheep, I need to remember that I don't just need to hear the word from a shepherd and then I'll be good. I need to do something about it. I am responsible for my response to the word, not just to hear the word from a shepherd. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Don't think, oh yeah, I'm a great follower of Jesus because I'm hearing the word. I hear the word on Sundays. I hear the word in podcasts on Mondays. I hear the word of God in classes on Wednesday night. I hear the word all the time. Man, I'm so rich in all the things that I'm being fed. It's not sufficient. If we never respond to the word in faith, if we never respond to the word in belief, if we never respond to the word in obedience, then the word is not profitable for us. We are responsible not just to hear the gospel, but to respond accordingly and repent and believe. We're responsible not just to hear what Jesus commanded, but to observe what Jesus commanded. So let that be a reminder to us. Well, lastly, the kind of shepherd that God's flock needs is a shepherd who values God's will more than his life. So after looking back on his time in Ephesus, as Paul is addressing the Ephesian elders, he, he, he's done looking back, and now he's looking forward into the future what the future holds for him, and how that relates to the Ephesian elders. So look at verses 22 and 23. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So Paul is leaving behind the church in Ephesus, Because God, the Holy Spirit, has commanded Paul to go to Jerusalem. And Paul doesn't know everything that is awaiting him in Jerusalem. Except that the Holy Spirit has revealed some of what he will experience there. The Holy Spirit has told Paul that he will be imprisoned and he will be afflicted. And as we'll see in chapter 21, that's exactly what happens to Paul in Jerusalem. But... But Paul, doesn't that worry you? I mean, back in verse 16, we saw that Paul was hastening to be at Jerusalem. If prison and affliction await you, Paul, why are you speeding up and not slowing down? Look at verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. How can Paul hasten to be at Jerusalem even though imprisonment and affliction await him? Well, it all has to do with what Paul 
values. Paul isn't afraid of going into a life-threatening situation for the sake of Christ. Why? Because he does not value his life. What he values is honoring Christ. His goal is not self-preservation. His goal is to finish the job Jesus gave him. Paul does not define success as surviving to the age of 95 and being able to look back and say, look how far I made it without dying. He defines success as getting to the end of his mission, the one that Jesus gave him, and saying, you can take my life now. It has served its purpose. In Psalm 138, verse 8, David said, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. What David was concerned about and what Paul was concerned about was what God's hands did with their lives. Their lives are instruments in his hands to do his work. For his glory. That's the value of their lives. Well, so what does this have to do with the elders of the church in Ephesus? Paul is telling them he, this is what awaits him as he leaves them. Well, verse 25, he says, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. The reason Paul is telling them this is he's saying, I'm done here. Because of what Paul knows about what awaits him in the future, he is confident that these men will never see him again. He preached the gospel to them. He preached the gospel to their fellow church members in Ephesus. He labored among them for three years. He spent himself. He provided the leadership of an apostle, shepherding a congregation, but now he was leaving. And he is confident that he is not coming back. This tells us the stakes of what he is saying in his address. Why it's so important that they hear him, catch what he's saying, and carry it on. Because he's not coming back to be able to fix it, or correct it, or change it. They've got to get it from him. And so again, Paul comes to this conclusion about what he has done and where he's going. He ministered faithfully in Ephesus, and now it's time to go. He's not coming back, so he says in verse 26, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. I had one shot, and it's over. I'm not getting a second chance, but I have no regrets. I have served my purpose. This is the kind of shepherd we have in Jesus. One who valued the will of God the Father more than his own life. Jesus lived his life on earth with one goal, to do the will of his Father. 
John writes in John 4, 33 and 34, So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him, Jesus, something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What got Jesus out of bed in the morning? What fueled him? What drove him? Doing the will of his Father. Jesus was focused on finishing his course, to use the words of Paul. He was focused on the ministry he received, to use Paul's words, the one he received from his Father. Jesus was committed to his Father's purpose for him all the way to death. Luke records in Luke twenty-two forty-two, how on the night Jesus was betrayed, he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus did not measure the value of his life by what he could do with it for himself. The value of his life was measured by how his father could use it for his will, his purpose, his work. And that's what drove him all the way to the cross. This is what a good shepherd does. Jesus said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That is what our shepherd Jesus did for us. We have salvation from sin and eternal life because our shepherd valued doing his father's will more than his own earthly life. And this is the kind of shepherds that Jesus wants to replicate. Do you measure the value of your life by what you can use how you can use it to accomplish what you want for yourself? Or do you measure the value of your life but how, by how God can use it to accomplish His purposes for His glory? You may recall um, the beginning of this year, uh, my family lost a, a close family friend Steve Armstrong, he was a pastor, Bible teacher, and he was just over 50 when he died. And at his memorial service, a lot of people got up and talked about him, thinking about how impactful his ministry was, but also thinking about how young he was when he died. And so they would say things like, oh, he was so young. Or they would say things like, just think about all the sermons that he never got to preach. All the books of the Bible he never got to teach through. Uh, but when I talked to his family, his wife, his kids, their confidence in the sovereignty of God was such that they were able to say, no, there was no sermon he never got to preach. There was no breath he never got to breathe. God had numbered every single one of his days. And God fulfilled his purpose for Steve. He 
he took Steve home precisely when he meant to. May our eyes be set not on a long life or a fulfilling life or the sort of life that finds its primary value in being precious to ourselves and valuable for, for, for what we can do that would be more valuable if it, if it were longer so we could do more things on this earth for us. But may we measure the value of our lives based on what God can do with it to accomplish his purpose. May we say with David, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. May we say that with David. And may we say this with Paul. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Our shepherd valued doing the will of the Father all the way to death. And that is the shepherd we follow. Not only those of us who are under shepherds, but those of us who are sheep. We follow that Lord. As we follow him, may he find us faithful. Let's pray together. Father, we are sheep in need of a shepherd, and you have been gracious to provide us the perfect shepherd in Christ. The perfect model of a servant, the perfect teacher of your word, and the one who modeled for us what it looks like to value your will all the way to death. Lord, those of us who are responsible for shepherding, those of us who are sheep, Lord, may we follow our shepherd. May we hear his voice, follow him, and know the joy that is found in doing your will for your glory. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.